Welcome to the PartsCast. I'm your host, Eric Koenig, Vice President of Brand and Communications with Partstown. On today's episodes, we are talking filtration with our guest, Mark Lasella of 3M. Water is a tricky topic, and today we're focusing on lead, which has been in the news the last couple of years, continues to be a concern across the country. Water is a really interesting topic, so much to consider, but before we jump into the conversation, cue the music. Joining us on this episode of the ParseCast is Mark Lausella with 3M, and we're going to tackle lead, why it's a concern, what are we doing about it, and we'll also discuss how a school district in California identified and implemented a solution with the help of 3M and their 3M FF100 solution. So first, Mark, welcome to the ParseCast. Thank you. And before we and before we really get into the conversation, you know, we'd like to give our listeners a quick a quick introduction as to, to who you are and your role with 3M. Okay. Well, thank you, and, and thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I've been with 3M for uh, just over 16 years, about 16 and a half years, I'm holding various roles from being a product manager uh, in our residential water filtration portfolio to a special assignment in our business transformation um, project, which was uh, designed around helping 3M globally transition from about 6,000 different operating systems to one. Uh, I've also been the national training manager for our water group, which is residential and commercial food service products, of course. And uh, today, uh, for the past year and a little bit, I've been what we call a channel manager, again, for the water group, residential and commercial food service. And I manage uh, six master distributors across our country uh, who serve our distribution network of uh, customers. Um, I've been uh, born and raised in Connecticut, but I've lived in Pennsylvania and Kentucky, of all places as well. Uh, (laughs) That was mainly with my former employer. I used to work for General Electric Company for about 18 years. Um, I'm married to my, uh, my wife, Allison, for about 34 years. And, you know, kind of the funny story is we met in college our very last week of our senior year together. So it was kind of neat. And we found out that we live in neighboring hometown. So it's kind of cool. Uh, I have two grown children, uh, Greg and Erica, um, both artistically oriented. Greg is a stage actor. <laughs> yeah, he lives in New York and he uh, stage acts. He's actually performed as um, Aladdin. Uh, on the Disney cruise ship. Um, and my daughter, Erica, is a graphic designer. Uh, so she, uh, she actually recently moved back from Texas to Connecticut and is working for a marketing firm here in Connecticut. Um, some s- stupid little side stuff. Uh, we, <laughs> we, have, uh, we have three cats, um, uh, it, which is interesting. You know, over my 34 years of being married, Allison uh, came into the marriage with her being a cat lover and me being a dog lover. Um, so we, we've never had the dog though. I'm hoping to do that, uh, some point in time, but, uh, we've had a total of seven cats over the 34 years and we currently have three right now. So that's my short story, I guess. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> and you know, Hey, as a, as a graduate of the university of Kentucky, I can oh, say, geez, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Kentucky is a, be- is a beautiful state. Absolutely. I love, I love, I love Lexington. Yeah. So well, not- I, I lived in the Louisville area in, in Jefferson town, J town as it's called and, and loved it there. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great state. So again, welcome, welcome to the parts cast. Thank you. And we're really excited to talk about this topic because it's a topic that's been in the news for the last several years and i think when we talk about lead in drinking water and we're really talking about lead in school drinking water Mm -hmm. you know 
why is it a problem? But really, first off, you know, tell our listeners what's let. Uh, that's a great place to start because a lot of people, you know, have heard about it. There's a lot of issues, like you said, uh, across the country that have uh, um, arisen uh, in the past uh, five, six years. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing about lead is it's, it's a, a natural forming material. Uh, we call it a contaminant because of the dangerous effects of it. But it's, it's really a, it's a, it's a heavy gray metal. Um, it's soft and pliable. Uh, interesting facts that I've learned about lead since really being part of this uh, school program uh, is that it was used way back in Egyptian time, um, even in solder, as, as we may not know it today as what solder is, but even back then, um, it's been used in cosmetics, it's been used in building materials. Um, the Greeks and Romans used it in early plumbing. Um, the Romans even used it in food storage containers. And it's very interesting when you think about what we know about it today, and they were using it for cosmetics and food storage containers. Just imagine what the impact on people that lead was having back then. Um, the Romans even used it to um, add to wine to improve taste and prevent it spoiling. <laughs> so it's really weird, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years later, what we, what we learned about it. But um, lead does prevent corrosion. So there is something good about it. Um, it kills mold and it kills mildew. Uh, it's very easy to shape. It's strong. Um, it actually, uh, think about this. Every time we go to a dentist and we go and get our um, x-rays done on our mouth, we wear a blanket, right, to protect us. Mm -hmm. And it's because of the lead uh, that's used uh, when in, in the x-ray, or it's used to prevent the x-rays from coming in. So it does have some great um, elements to it, but it also has some some bad ones. It's it's very dangerous and does cause health problems. Yeah, no, no kidding. But I mean, I, the idea that it was used in infrastructure, even, yeah. you know, two millennia ago yeah. to transport water, you know, and we're still, in a, you know, living with some of that today, right. you know, you talk about health issues. Mm -hmm. What are some of, you know, because, you know, I think, you know, as kids growing up, we always talked about there was lead paint on a lot of walls sure. and yeah. kids would have issues because, you know kids put things in mouths. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What are some of the health issues that lead lead can create for people? Well, it's it's first important to understand that lead is is what's called as a, a neurotoxicant. Um, it's it does do uh, damage to um, our brains, our kidneys, bones. Um, it causes anemia, uh, kidney disease, uh, abnormal brain function, uh, can cause high blood pressure, and depending upon pre-existing conditions, it could even cause death. Um, it's very, very damaging to pregnant women and children, as you alluded to, which is why this program is very important uh, to get lead out of drinking water in uh, school systems. Um, it has an impact on their central and peripheral nervous system, uh, can create learning disabilities. And uh, so for all of these things, including, uh, you know, uh, formation and function of blood cells impacting that, uh, it's, it's very, very important to get it out. And, um, you know, when we look at some of the, the guidelines that have been established by the U.S. government, in particular the EPA, um, the EPA has established a minimum level of lead in drinking water that is, quote unquote, deemed to be acceptable. And that, that is at 15 parts per billion. 
Um, but any, and any levels above 15 parts per billion is de deemed actionable and requires some form of remediation. There are some states in the in the country, which we could talk about a little bit later, that are actually taking that 15 parts per billion and reducing it down to um, less than 10. And there's some, some states that are even going as low as five, uh, you know, within their own uh, state uh, levels and deeming that to be actionable. So it's a great thing that we're seeing that transition happen. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a couple things for me. It's like one, when we always talk about kids as sponges, you know, as they develop, they truly are sponges. You know, I always laugh and say kids are germ sponges because inevitably if they bring <laughs> something home, they're going to make you sick. That's right. But as far as their development is concerned, they really are absorbing as much as they possibly can to grow and be healthy. And, and so anything that we can do to start to think about, you know, how to minimize the toxins and what they're pulling in mm -hmm. is, is something that we have to take very seriously. And lead is one of, one of those toxins. That's right. You know, and so we talked, you know, you know, briefly about infrastructure, yeah. but really how does lead get into school drinking water? Well, that, that's the ultimate question. And, and there's actually many ways. Um, and then they're, they're not, uh, they don't run concurrent with each other. Uh, it all depends upon the infrastructure of the municipality that you live in. So um, it, it goes back to um, one of the options is going back all the way to the primary service lines that feed the school building from the municipal uh, water facility. So those could be, you know, when we look at the age of that infrastructure in itself, Across the United States, the average age of these infrastructures are anywhere from 50 to 100 years old. And when we're talking about going back that far, there was no legislation to um, prohibit or uh, eliminate lead for um, the soldering process of that those pipes. And so when we you know we think about it, there's there's the possibility of that water transferring just from the municipal level clean, safe, healthy water that they provide is actually um, bringing with it leached lead that's coming out of that, out of that system. So let's assume for the sake of argument that that's not the source. Well, then where do you go from there? Well, again, um, that water feeds the water that's actually in the building, right? So when we talk about that, again, the average age of most of the public schools in the United States today are in excess of over 50 years old. And again, legislation was done after those schools were built. So most of those schools with copper pipes, some of them even have lead pipes, um, have a solder that is lead based solder. So the same thing is happening. Lead is leaching out of those pipes um, into the drinking water. Another source is, again, in those older schools in particular, the, uh, the, besides the plumbing, the pipes, you have sinks and faucets and drinking fountains that are also the same age as the buildings. And they may have uh, lead-based um, uh, materials that were used in the manufacturing of those products. That water is just passing through. Again, uh, nobody even thinks about these things. And, and lead is passing, water is passing through those uh, leaching lead and of course, we just consume it as we drink it. Um, so those are those are the the common ways that that's happening. Uh, and like I said, when we talk about the legislation, I'm just going to touch on this briefly. But 
lead was uh, lead-based solder in particular was banned in the U.S. in 1986. That's not too far back. Um, so when we talk about schools being uh, in excess of 50 years old, just think about that timing. Um, it exists. It's there. The cost to remediate that, meaning the cost of changing out the pipes and the fixtures, um, the, all of that stuff is just more than any public school system in America today can handle. So there, there has to be some other alternatives on, on um, solving this problem. And, and that's what brings us to this conversation today. Yeah, no. And I, I mean, I think what's you know, again, a couple of points for me there is it took a long time for the science to catch up, you know, and really think about, you know, where are we, where are we ingesting and in, in, in creating issues for, for ourselves in general. But yeah, the other thing would never, you know, like I personally, I love old fixtures, mm -hmm. would not have thought that that's the source of lead. I understand, I understand the infrastructure and underneath the ground, you know, I, I always, I always think about the city of New York and, you know, 200 plus and mm -hmm. I, you know, I know there's wood pipes under the streets. That's right, there you know, are. It's like, <laughs> I mean, and water's still running through them. That's right. So how do we, how do we start to, you know, reimagine what our infrastructure really needs to look like? Because more and more new elements are being introduced to our bodies all the time. That's and right. so, Lead is is a critical one in what we're talking about today, but you know filtration in general and how it evolves uh, is is going to have to continue to pick up new things as science deems it deems it uh, a, a challenge. Right. So you know, obviously we're gonna we're gonna talk more about filtration, yeah. but are there some methods that that uh, people can do without filtration that helps get rid of lead in in, the, in water sources. Yes, there, there are. And it's, a, it's a, a, a great aspect to talk about because filtration isn't the only solution. Um, you know, again, taking out all the pipes and all the fixtures, changing them out is not the only solution. There's some very simple things that people can do um, daily to help resolve it. Um, first and foremost is uh, you could just run cold water for 15 to 30 seconds before you use it to flush out any lead that may be in standing water as it has leached into that water. So that's just a very simple, very uh, easy thing to do. Um, one thing that uh, it may take some people getting used to is using cold water for cooking and preparing baby formula. Using it meaning don't, um, like if you're going to boil a pot of pasta, a lot of people think the quick and easy thing is to get run hot water and then take that hot water and put it on the stove and it gets done faster. Again, you're not, um, you're not taking care of the problem. You have to use cold water. So, so do that. Um, do not boil water to try to remove lead in the water if you think you have lead because it has no effect. You can't boil it out like you could do it with other things like bacteria or E. coli, things of that nature. Um, the, the, at the end of the day, the easiest thing to do is first and foremost, find out if you have lead in the water to figure out if you have to remediate. Uh, there are certified testing facilities or laboratories in every state across the country. Many states have many of them, depending on the size of the state. So spend a couple hundred bucks uh, and find out exactly what's in your water besides lead. I, there's many, many things that could be in your water that uh, come from the municipality or along the path from the municipality to your home. Um, and if you're on a, on a um, private well system, uh, you definitely would want to get your water tested as well to find out if there's, you know, pesticides, herbicides, things that have been in the water for, for hundreds of years or just last week, you know, depending upon mm -hmm. if you're, you know, putting down fertilizer on your own property. 
And then, of course, at the end of the day, there, there's always uh, alternatives for, such as bottled water. Uh, that's an alternative. It may be very convenient when you want to drink it, but it may not be so convenient for um, cooking or making baby formula, as an example, or filling up a uh, fish tank. You know, so but there are yeah. alternatives, right? And then, last but not least, is using uh, NSF certified um, lead reduction water filtration systems. Um, NSF. I don't. I don't know if if the um, the listeners know what NSF is. I have to assume they do, but. It's the National Sanitation Foundation. It is the the uh, independent third-party uh, testing facility uh, that does testing of all water filtration products, um, plus many, many other types of products. But uh, they are the ones that we at 3M use to get all of our products certified for either aesthetic or health effects, and of which lead falls under the health effects category. So that's really an important label to look for. Absolutely. So, you know, for, for our listeners, it's, you know, it's, it's the UL of this type mm -hmm. of testing, you know, so right. you see that you get, you get that confidence that the product that you're, you're about to consume or the product that you're using is going to do the job it's being asked to do because there is that, that testing and that data behind that's it, which right. is really important. And a side note to that, you know, and it, it is worth mentioning, there's a lot of manufacturers out there who will on their product label claim um, as tested uh, similar to NSF standards or tested by manufacturer to NSF standards. It is an independent agency that all manufacturers that go to them, you know, you pay for that service, but you know that it's independent. It's a third party uh, facility and you get that certification from them. And it is universally recognized, just like you said, the UL label. Um, you wouldn't buy an electrical appliance that didn't have the UL label on it. So, yeah, again, another reminder to, to listeners, read the fine print. Yes. Make sure that, you know, when you see NSF, that it's truly NSF certified, not as NSF would certify That's it. That's right. So before we really dive into the filtration, you know, I want to talk a little bit about water sure. because it's something that we take for granted. Yeah. You know, we turn on a sink, we use a water fountain, we prepare meals in a combi oven. Mm -hmm. It's always there, you know, as Americans, we're used to it. That's right. But it's a complicated subject and it really impacts us in a lot more ways than we think about. You know, it's, it's, always, it's, it's always there because you know, we need it. But, you know, can you highlight maybe a few ways water can be the source for for trouble, you know, drinking and otherwise? Yeah. So, you know, associated with that, if I can go back one step, there's there's a lot of things about water that people don't know. Like you said, um, Eric, people take it for granted. And we do. Um, we absolutely, we expect when we turn the faucet, clean, fresh, healthy water, bacteria-free water is going to come out of the faucet. Um, and, and that's a given, but that's not the same um, in, in many, many parts of the world today um, as we sit here. But some, some basic water facts that a lot of people don't understand is, is some things like this. You know, water covers 75% of the world. Um, a lot of people don't realize that. We look at a globe and we see all this landmass, but when we think about it, really 75% of the planet is covered by water. And only 3% of all of that water is fresh water, meaning that you can drink it. Um, and of that 3%, this is the one that blows people's mind. Of that 3% that's fresh water, 96% of it is underground or in glaciers. 
And as we know, you know, whether you're a believer of climate change or not, the glaciers that are uh, that exist out there in the, the northern hemisphere are melting. So that's a whole different dynamic. But 96 percent of that three percent is is underground or in glaciers. Only 10 percent of that remaining water that we have access to of that fresh water is used for public drinking, whereas 63 percent of that water that's available is used for plant and lawn irrigation. So think about that. I mean, when we keep drilling this down, that funnel effect, there is just so little amount of fresh water that is available that we're using for drinking. Um, when we think about how water itself, how we access water, kind of leading toward your question, you know, there's the basics that we learned in, in school, elementary school and, and uh, grade school about the hydrological cycle. Whereas you have these bodies of water, uh, the sun is out, the sun absorbs, it evaporates that water, it goes up into the, the sky, it com you know, uh, combines with dirt particles to create clouds and enough of that clouds come together and you get rain, snow, sleet, or hail that comes back down. Uh, it goes on top of mountains and freezes as you know snow and stays there until it, the, the springs and summers where it melts off and comes back down into rivers and streams. And with that, it's pulling all of those um, elements that are natural elements, whether it is sediment or whether it is um, uh, organics that are in, in the ground or uh, minerals that are in the rocks. All that comes down into those um, river bodies or, or water bodies that we pull our water from to be treated um, or access through public, uh, excuse me, through private, th private means. So it really is um, a very intricate system. It's very simple, but it, uh, intricate at the same time. Um, but it's things that people don't think about on a daily basis where their water comes from. I, in my training days, uh, one of the taglines I've always said is that the earth has all the water it ever has had and all the water it will ever have. There is no such thing as a water factory down the road making water. <laughs> you don't make water. Wow. It, it's, it, we have what we, what we have and what we will ever have. So it's our responsibility to take care of that water and to treat that water to make it um, water that we can utilize healthy uh, and safe um, and contaminant free. So, um, yeah. you know, so I don't know if that answered your question, but th that, that's part of the answer anyway. It, it does, you know, and I think the, you know, the one thing that we always, we always look at those big bodies of water too, and only such a small percent of it being fresh water. We have not come to a good solution to how do we desalinate right. and use and use seawater. And if we think about the glacial water that's, that's, that's being pushed out into the system, it's ending up in the oceans, That's right. you know, and so we're even losing at a different rate what is that drinkable water for us so you know to your point we've got what we've got and we've really got to figure out how to best preserve the resource so we can continue doing what we're doing so stop taking water for granted think That's about right. it and think about how how we keep it in the system how we use it where we use it why we use it it might not always be that we want our we need a green a green front lawn you know we probably need to find another use for it right one one last point because you, you know you talked about the system and you mm -hmm. talked about you know as it comes down with rain it's picking up a lot of contaminants mm -hmm. if we think about you know the united states and what we look like from the east coast to the west coast and, and everywhere in between water 
takes on the characteristics of the regions that that it's a part of. So, you know, one of the things when I, I you know, I live I live in Cincinnati today, one of the things that that my mother swears <laughs> when we moved from New Jersey to Ohio, her pizza crust and her French bread never tasted the same. You know? And and that's because of the water. That's right. You know, and so when we think about water, you know, we think about water filtration and, and you mentioned it earlier in the conversation, you got to test because you really do need to understand what you're dealing That's with. That's right. And, you know, it's interesting because you talk about the regionality of, of water quality, even water that has been treated by municipalities, uh, each municipality treats their water differently, uses different methods uh, of it. There's different um uh, materials, disinfectants. Some some use chlorine, some use chloramines, um, which is a combination of chlorine and ammonia, each having their own negative effect. Um, and the closer you are to the facility that's treating the water, the stronger that uh, disinfectant is going to be versus the ones that live further away. But when you talk about it regionally, you know, I can I could tell you as an example, and I don't want to say states because I'll, I'll offend some people on the line, but there's <laughs> there happens to be a state very close to where I live that um, has some of the best, best tasting water compared to the other uh, 49 states. There's, a, there's another state on the East Coast that has the worst tasting water um, compared to the other 49 states. And these are both being uh, treated by the municipality. One has the pleasure of where their water is coming from that doesn't require the same level of disinfection and treatment than the other. Um, and so the, the one that is um, not so great tasting and not so great smelling um, coming right out of the faucet is because of their source of water is uh, at a different level of quality. Uh, and their, their particular source of where that water is coming from is completely different from where the other state is. So those are just two examples. But as you move from East Coast to West Coast, that, that scenario happens um, in each and every state. Uh, and, and yeah, your mom's bread uh, it, it did taste different <laughs> and, and probably cook different, you know, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, and I, and I, that brings us to, to water filtration. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we want to test, but we also, when we think about the systems that we put in, you know, we have to make sure that the system and the type of water that we have align to get the best results. Absolutely. So, we really want to talk about, you know, your 3M product today. So we've got the Undersink Full Flow Water Filter System, right. the 3MFF100. Right. That's a mouthful. Yeah, I know. But, you know, what makes this product such a valuable component in the filtration of lead, especially for schools? Well, the, 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 the great part about this product relative to competitive product that's out there is it far and away exceeds the expectation and the performance of most of the competitive product out there in, in, in this class. Um, it, it has features, some of the key features of it that are very important to the end user um, it has a flow rate that is at the peak for this product design compared to com competition, which is a two and a half gallon per minute flow rate. Um, it has a capacity of about 6,000 gallons. It's rated for 6,000 gallons or about a once a year cartridge changeout. Um, and that's very important to the end user, whether it's a residential customer or some other application school in particular. It, it gives you that, that peace of mind to know that it is going to um, perform for a full year 
without having to change it out, which, you know, those, there's implications with change out, cartridge change outs, whether it's cost or time and time equals money and all that stuff. Um, but the, the great thing about this is the technology that's built into this product to get us to two and a half gallon per minute flow rate, to get us to 6,000 gallon capacity or once a year change out is that the, the, um, the carbon block technology, which is in the center of the unit, that's wrapped around a um, 0.2 micron pharmaceutical grade membrane that's surrounded by a third level of um, sediment or particulate filtration protection. All those elements together allow us to have NSF certification on it to reduce particulates, chlorine taste and odor, which is the key uh, disinfectant from the municipality, lead, of course, but also cyst and some select VOCs. Now, VOCs you may have heard of, volatile volatile organic compounds um, that are, are um, man-made. Some of them are a, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A byproduct of some other um, processes that are out there. But this is this particular product is rated for, um, in the VOC classification, benzene, P-dichlorobenzene as an example. Um, so those are two very highly volatile compounds that we take out of the water. Um, and as I said, again, it is cer- third party certified by NSF to do everything that we say it's going to do. We've done side-by-side tests. We've had some of the school districts do side-by-side tests and completely uh, without any question, say the 3MFF100 outperforms in every category uh, than the competition. And the, the last thing that's really nice about it is that um, it is three-eighths inch uh, NPT connections. Uh, so it makes it very easy for uh, the installer, whoever that may be. We could talk about that in a minute as well. Sure. Very easy for them to install. They'll have everything on the truck that they'll need if they don't want to use the things that come with the product, such as the mounting bracket, the screws, uh, plenty of tubing that comes with it. Yeah, so when we talk about we talk about um, the VOCs, you know, are we we're we're talking about you know things like we use for fertilizer and, mm-hmm. and things, you know, the stuff that we're using in other processes to grow food and do all that that just naturally leach into the ground, right? Get into the well water or get into the water table in general. Well, it's important that you bring up just touch on the VOCs uh, for a second because if you think about it, um, the paint industry residential household paint in particular, um, there is a whole segment of product over the past five years, plus or minus, that have uh, launched VOC-free paint because of the impact that it has on people that have very sensitive um, immune systems. Uh, that, that, that VOC in that paint, uh, even though you're not ingesting it, you're not touching it and, and having it come into our bodies, it is um, the, the elements that are in there that come out of the paint as it's during that curing process. The same thing is happening in the auto industry with uh, the materials that are being used for carpet, uh, dashboard, steering wheels, uh, seating material, the foam inside our seats. They're all going to that same thing of being VOC free. And and it's all those are all elements of VOCs that are in the air and in those materials that are um, being taken out of by the industry due to um, the need for it to come out. So again, it's another instance of science is catching up to things that we've been doing for, you know, a generation Absolutely. or, you know, decades as we bring new products. We've got to understand that convenience is not always safe. Right. You know, right. And so how we how we get those out of the system is is, is really is really important. I want to get back to the installation piece, sure. you know. So it comes with the materials to install, but who should be installing this? You know, we've 
as for the parts cast, we have listeners, we have end users, we have service technicians, you know, who really is best suited to make sure that this system goes in correctly? Well, um, I would say if you t- I'm going to answer the question the way it was asked, who is best suited to install that? Um, depending upon the application, and let's talk about a commercial food service application, let's talk about a school application. We'll park residential application for one yep. second. When we talk about those other two applications, I believe that the best solution is to have um, somebody who is within the plumbing contracting industry, either a certified service technician, a certified plumbing contractor, licensed plumbing contractor, um, because they, they know, uh, they may not know filtration, but they know plumbing and they know how to make the two work together very easily, very seamlessly, and to be able to get in and get out very quickly. Um, and that's always, you know, again, time is money, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. we want to make sure that that process is not going to be, uh, an encumbrance on the, um, franchisee of a restaurant or a maintenance staff, uh, a principal who's paying the bill of a school. Now, but when we do talk about residential, I will tell you that this product is easy enough to install for a good DIYer. Um, I've done it myself and I consider myself to be a good DIYer. I I don't like plumbing because, you know, you you try to do a plumbing install on a, on a um, 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning and you turn off the water and you cut pipe and you screwed up and guess what? Now you got to go buy, you got to go find a plumber and you're going to be paying, you know, exorbitant fees because it's an emergency and all that stuff. Um, I don't like dealing with that, but this is a very easy installation. Um, that's, what's great about this product. So, uh, interestingly enough, if, if people buy filtration equipment, uh, not this particular product per se, but if they buy them off the internet, our research working with Amazon and, and other companies like that, our research continues to show that although a, a person will buy a filtration product on the internet, um, they uh, probably 75 to 80% of the time are going to call up uh, a plumbing contractor to do the install because they were shopping for price, but they're going to be afraid to do the installation. So uh, at the end, you know, I always think that a a licensed professional is always the person certified or licensed professionals should do it. No, I agree. It's, you know, get it right the first time or as it's the old adage, measure twice, cut once. Again, get in, get in and get the right people installing. Right. So, One of the other the other things about filtration that that can be not necessarily confusing, but you know something that you would have to map out is the relationship of filtration to source. Mm-hmm. So you know if we're going to put you know for a combi oven, you know we're thinking you know that's like a one to one relationship. How does that work on say like drinking fountains and other water sources with this system? Well, is it all one to one or is it? One to many. Well, you know, I think I think the answer to that in the experience that I have with the school districts that are installing these uh, 3MFF 100s in their schools, uh, it seems to be best for them due to the location of or the locations of the drinking fountains that it is a one to one uh, relationship. It just makes sense for them. Um, now, some of the school districts that I, I'm working with, one in particular on the West Coast, that uh, they've taken out a um, they've taken out actually when they did the analysis of their buildings, they've actually taken out of use many of the fountains because let's say on the typical floor of, of one of the buildings that I've toured myself, they, they previously had on, on, it was a three-story building and on each floor, they probably had uh, six to eight 
drinking fountains around the building. It was it was shaped as a cube, so it was a square, and they would have six to eight fountains on each floor, and that excludes uh, sinks and and the, uh, the the water that's being provided to cafeteria and the teachers' lounge and all that stuff, but just pure drinking fountains. What they found in their study is they could eliminate of those six to eight, they could actually eliminate um, four to six of those drinking fountains and replace them with strategically placed drinking fountain and a right next to it, a water, a water bottle filling station. So it's kind of two units in one on two opposite sides of the building. Um, each one of those systems using a three MFF 100. So, um, it, it, it all depends upon the application and what the school district wants to do as to how to resolve their their uh, lead problem. This particular school, that's what they chose to do. And it's working out fantastic for them, um, saving them uh, maintenance, of course, on the, the old drinking fountains, uh, saving them uh, maintenance costs on uh, how to deal with the ones that they're installing, uh, reducing their overall cost for filtration, just keeping it focused on two on each floor now. Uh, so it's been an actually very beneficial uh, program for them on how they're addressing it. Yeah, no, I mean, this is, it's a, you know, it's a great point. This is an opportunity for facilities to really look at usage and look at what their footprint is presenting. And if they have to swap out, you know, you know, fountains or sinks or things like that, mm -hmm. you know, are there, are there new solutions that can do double duty or, you know, more efficient or fit how we consume water today? You know, and I think even if you go to airports, there's a lot more water bottle filling That's stations right. than there ever used to be, That's right. you know, so we're really, we're really, it's giving us an opportunity to sort of reevaluate the system in, in general. Yeah. Um, this this is going to be my one plug because I, I will I will say of most things in in food service and filtration in general, listeners, you've got to actually replace the filter. It's great that you put it in, but you do have to replace That's it. Right. So, you know, my my Partstown plug, we can set up auto replenishment for you on your filters if you go to Partstown.com. Just saying, you've got to replace the filter. It's funny you bring that up because um, people, instead of replacing the filter, will bypass it and push the button just to reset it so they don't see that orange glowing light or whatever color it may be. But you need to change those filters out. Um, and, and it's really for your safety, uh, not so much because the manufacturer of that filter is trying to get another 45 bucks from you or whatever it's going to be. It's for your safety. Before we get back into the conversation, I just wanted to give you a quick heads up about TechTown. It's the only online community for food service technicians to ask, share, and repair. And why is ask, share, and repair so important? Technicians are on the road every day fixing food service equipment. We don't have the answers to everything. Where can you go to get expert advice, talk with other technicians in the field? Well, that's TechTown. So I encourage everybody to check it out, techtownforum.com. Register. It's free, it's easy, and it's going to have you help, help you find the answers you need to your service questions. Before we, before we hop into the, the case study, because it's a really interesting case study, are there yeah. any other mm -hmm. of the you know, trends within the industry that we want to touch off on? Um, you know, is there anything that yeah. our listeners really should sort of 
take to heart as they're thinking about filtration and water and, and, and everything. Sure. And I, I, I think there's a couple of different areas I'd like to touch on. The first is I touched on it earlier when we talked about legislation, right? Um, so there's some, there has been some uh, legislation in the United States that has helped um, reduce or eliminate lead. And I'm just going to go through a couple of those real quick with some dates and, and things of that nature. I happen to have these written down, so I apologize. Um, 1978, the EPA, US EPA, takes lead out of gasoline. Some of us that were born at the time remember leaded gasoline. Um, it doesn't exist anymore, but it's that's uh, that was taken out of back in the 78 uh, era because of the harmful effects it was having to the environment. Also in 1978, uh, the U.S. banned lead-based paints for houses, hospitals, schools, parks, playgrounds, and public buildings. So I touched on lead-based paint before, VOCs and paint, excuse me. Um, but we, we had 78, some legislation that took out uh, lead in paint. And prior to that, as Eric mentioned, there were homes built from the 50s uh, when there was a huge housing boom that used lead-based paint. And, you know, it became a, a very important issue because children were, you know, their, their crib was next to a window pane that had paint chipping. And they would just, you know, like a kid would, would take it and put it in their mouth and cause those issues I mentioned earlier. Um, back in 1986 and then a revision in 1988, there was the U.S. Safe Drinking Water Act, which banned lead in household plumbing products. So as we can see, you know, I mentioned it earlier, that's when we start to see some real uh, legislative impact on reducing lead uh, that is uh, associated with products that we're going to be uh, using water that we're going to ingest. In 1991, the U.S. EPA created a uh, piece of legislation called the Lead and Copper Rule. Um, so that also uh, brought in lead and brought copper, which is also a harmful contaminant that we ingest. Um, the, there was a piece of legislation that was called the Residential Lead-Based Paint Hazard Reduction Act of 92, directed the EPA uh, to regulate lead-based paint hazard. So that was a um, byproduct of the um, 78 ban of lead-based paint. And then this one, we, you know, really isn't talked about at all. But um, interestingly enough, I learned this when I was doing the research for this uh, podcast. The, there's a standard that's called the National Ambient Air Quality Standard, or NAAQS, um, also, the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, the Resource Conversation, uh, Conservation, excuse me, and Recovery Act, um, that all deal with um, lead in those mediums. So whether it's in the air or again in uh, water and uh, things of that nature. So there's a whole bunch of legislation that was done to help uh, take lead, take action on lead in various um, elements, whether gas, paint, or water in particular. Um, so to shift gears over to things, I'm, I'm again trying to use the funnel effect. Yeah. So I look at the big picture for the U.S. Now let's talk about some of the states and specifically what they're doing. So I'm going to highlight a couple states in particular. So uh, first and foremost, New York. Uh, New York state laws and regulations require all public school districts and boards of cooperative educational services, that's a mouthful, to test drinking water for lead contamination and to act if lead exceeds the actionable threshold. And we talked about that earlier. The EPA established the uh, actionable threshold of 15 parts per billion. 
as a side note, I thought I'd take a little bit of uh, extra research to put this into scope. New York happens to have, um, New York State has the second, uh, excuse me, the, the largest public school system uh, in the country. They have 4,822 public schools. They have 950 school districts that uh, encompass 2.7 million students. And that number was the closest I can get. And that goes back to 2013. So um, thinking about the magnitude and thinking about the scope of um, the possibility of lead in that drinking water, which, you know, we very much appreciate the New York state laws and regulations that are requiring testing and remediation. Um, that's huge. Um, mm -hmm. Take a look at Florida. Florida Senate Bill 66 passed in April of 2019 that did the same thing. It required each district and, and uh, with schools that were built before 1986 to install filters that reduce lead in drinking water. Here's the problem. The bill was sent to the Senate for passing, but the bill didn't um, pass the Appropriations Committee on Education, and that was in May of 2019. So currently, Florida has no state law that requires testing or remediation for lead in drinking water. And just as a side note, Florida, there's 4,368 public schools, 73 school districts, and they also handle 2.8 million students on an annual basis. So if there's anybody listening to this that has an opportunity uh, that lives in Florida, there's a huge opportunity to be going after schools in Florida. Um, Eric, it sounded like you were going to ask a question, were you? Yeah, well, no. And I, mean, I, and I think, you know, uh, again, we talked a little bit about the science, but even, you know, as late as 2019, we're still debating yeah. how do we do something that is a known, a known issue right. is, is really, you know, I would think for people, you know, even at the individual district level to start to think about how do I do this on my own? Yeah, there's no law, but you know, I've got to protect the students yeah. and there's, there's gotta be ways and there's partners like 3M that can help, help do this. So, you know, like you said, in Florida or, you know, any state in general, you know, find a partner that can help you do this because it's real. And, and here's what the problem is. And this is just to make everybody aware of it. Here's what the real problem is at the school district level. Um, number one, it's budget constraining. Uh, whether you're looking at ripping out all the pipes in a building um, and replacing all the pipes, ripping out all the fixtures in the building and replacing all the fixtures, or even installing uh, water filters. Uh, it's a budget issue. And uh, today, because of uh, the way things are with the federal government funding public schools and the, the funds, you know, funds are dry, uh, drying out, um, they're relying on, of course, their tax base and uh, all those things, and they've got other priorities. And so that's a huge issue. But the other issue is, and we found this in California in particular, uh, they don't want to admit publicly that there's a problem because they're afraid of potential lawsuits uh, of A, knowing that there was a problem and B, that they didn't do anything about it. Um, and so what was what does it mean that they, they've been... Um, potentially harming students and faculty and staff for uh, periods of years um, and not doing anything about it. So there's there's the, the betwixt and between, as I call it, as to what to do. You know, do you go out there and publicly uh, come out with a program that's going to remediate lead, but you're also at the same time acknowledging that you had a lead problem. So it's it's been an issue. Um, I'll go through this real quick. California, as yep. an example, I just mentioned it. Within California, the LAUSD, LA Unified School District, it's the second largest school district in the country. Um, they, California, as a state, 
all has a mandate that all schools prior to 2010 are required to test lead levels of drinking water in all public K through 12 schools, preschools, and childcare facilities. So yay for them. Um, there's approximately in all of their schools, 10 water fountains, drinking fountains per school, estimates to be about 21,000 drinking fountains in scope. Um, and in California, there's over 10,500 public schools, uh, 1,000 school districts, and 6.2 million students. Um, and the last example that I want to give when we talk about it at the yeah. at state level, and I'll go through this quick, is in particular a very specific um, school district, and that's Portland, Oregon. Um, the Oregon Health Authority enacted regulations requiring all public schools to test for lead in drinking water by June of 2020. So that, that obviously just... Um, expired as far as that period of time. And they are mandated to retest at least every six years. Uh, they have over 100 school buildings. And this is just Portland. This is not the entire state. They have over 100 school buildings They that are all over 50 years old, not the average. The, all are over 50 years old. The average is 75 years old because they still have wow. schools in existence. <laughs> I know they still have schools in existence that are over 100 years old. Um, so think about that for, you know, for a second. Um, and then, of course, the, the, the big ones that have made the public news, uh, Flint, Michigan, we, we kind of alluded to that earlier. Um, that happened to be a man-made issue. That was not a, um, an issue that was done by, based on natural. It was a man-made issue. And they're still dealing with that for now five going into six years, I believe. Um, and they're addressing it with bottled water and some water filtration systems. Uh, same kind of thing in Newark, New Jersey. Um, they have samples of water that have levels that are at 66.9 parts per billion when the, the mitigation level is at 15. Um, so that, that also happened to be deemed as a man-made issue that they're trying to resolve. Um, so there's a lot of things, you know, going on out there, um, that these are just the big ones, um, yep. that, that are just trying to bring to your attention. Well, and there, you know, there's a lot of public schools. A lot of those public schools are continuing to age. We always, you know, we've, we've talked about funding for public schools, you know, we've, we've got a lot of, a lot of kids that are starting, you know, that are flowing through public schools, kids are sponges. Yep. So, you know, filtration really takes on a, a critical component of, of what, what we need to think about, uh, for, from an education perspective. So that actually brings <laughs> us to a really interesting case study and how 3M was able to help a school district in California work through their, their lead problem. Right. So it really was a, it was a great program. I'll try to sum it up um, as quickly as I can, but it really was a great program and it was very glad um, and happy to be part of it uh, almost from the very start. Uh, so back in 2016, um, this particular school district uh, discovered that they had a lead crisis on their hand. And um, what they did, it really was a, initially a three-step process. I'll just briefly go through what those were. Um, once they discovered that they, they identified that they had lead in their water, um, and it mainly was driven because they, they were nervous because of all the publicity that many of the school districts they were seeing, the Flint, Michigan, as an example, the Newark, New Jersey, as an example. So they tested all the fixtures in all of the schools. So every single fixture in every single school was tested. 10% um, of those fixtures came back with uh, the parts per billion at or above the 15 ppb that the EPA um, said was allowable. So what they initially then decided to do was to set out to replace 
the uh, fixtures in those 10%. Um, it was then that they found out if the actual hardware outside of the wall that included the outlet stop valve and lines needed to be replaced as well um, because they were finding that they were getting an extremely large um, uh, content of lead and they had to figure out how to reduce that. So they, after all their analysis, they said the best thing for us to do is replace all of the outside hardware uh, in the fixtures, although it wasn't necessary, they they had the bond money to do it. So that they were very fortunate that they had a lot of bond money um, that the state had given them. So they were able to do that. Um, they used a third party to sample and test the water uh, to EPA's uh, three T's, as they call it, the testing, training, and takes action standard guidelines. Um, there are no federal guidelines related to lead schools, by the way, only the EPA guidelines um, at, that are at the, the state level. So um, they did that. And while the fountains measured between, and this is, of course, all the drinking fountains had uh, ratings between 0.2 parts per billion up to 15 parts per billion um, and higher, uh, they decided to um, reduce the total number of, of drinking fountains that were out there, as well as sinks that may have been in the elementary uh, classroom size, uh, eliminate those, uh, replace them with new um equipment, new drinking fountains and water bottle filling stations, um, and install inside of those in as part of their pilot program, which was selecting a certain number of schools and a certain number of locations within those schools. They did side-by-side -side testing between the 3MFF100 and my uh, number one competitor and found in that test that the 3MFF100 was the only one uh, of those of the products that got uh, lead levels down to one part per billion or less. The competitive product uh, was nowhere close to that. And so um, what they're what they're doing from that is um, they published all of that data on public uh, public accessible websites. So uh, it was raising the public knowledge of the situation. More importantly, sharing the information with parents. So it wasn't the shock and awe value. It, it was going in there and educating, which is the key to anything. It's just educate, mm -hmm. educate, educate. Educating the parents so they knew, so they did not have that scare factor and not to freak out over what was happening to their, their children. Um, letting them know that we have a solution in place. Pressuring the schools to lower the acceptable level beyond the 15 part per billion down to, uh, you know, below five part per billion, um, working with the EPA guidelines to help establish the school guidelines, working with the American Academy of Pediatrics recommendations on uh, what the acceptable level of water, uh, lead in water would be for children, which is one part per billion, working with the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, and the Oregon Health Department, as an example, um, because they were the leaders in doing some of this work, um, to say no level of lead in water is, is safe. Um, so they went through all of that and they ended up coming back with their criteria for a go, no go uh, decision to the Board of Ed um, for the uh, end of their pilot program, as well as 
installation across the entire school district. And those elements included things like the filter had to be NSF certified for lead reduction uh, under um, NSF standard 53. It had to have a capacity of 6,000 gallons. It must be able to filter sediment and particulate as well. It must also be able to filter chlorine in order uh, to help improve the taste. It had to have a flow rate of two and a half gallon per minute. If you're getting the sense here that they wrote their specification based on the 3MFF100, <laughs> you're very, very uh, attuned to what's happening here. Yep. <laughs> um, so that's exactly what they did. Um, it had to be um, incur minimum cost, maintenance cost for change out. We talked about that earlier. It had to be very easy to install, which it was. It fit right inside the brand of uh, drinking fountain and water uh, filter um, bottle filler stations that they did. So they just take off the cover and they do a very quick plumb and put the cover back on. Um, so it, it worked out very, very well for the 3MFF100. Their program is expanding as we speak across the entire school district. Yes, they're dealing with COVID shutdown. So it actually yep. worked out to our advantage from uh, providing them the product when they need it because they're going through the flush and fill um, process right now to get the schools back to um, uh, reopening status. So it, it's it's just been a phenomenal program. We're very, very proud of it. We're, we're trying to replicate that uh, across many, many districts, uh, school districts across the country as we speak. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you mentioned it. This is, it's a perfect time to start to think about, do you have the opportunity because, this, you know, schools are shut down to, to take a look at your filtration system and maybe make a change if, if, if the, the funding and the ability to do so is there. And, you know, the program being as successful as it is and, the, you know, the Board of Pediatrics coming back and saying we need to get it down to one part per billion, you know, again, having a product that can do that is, is phenomenal and really gives, gives, you know, educators and parents that peace of mind that, you know, their, their children are consuming safe drinking water uh, when they're, when they're at school. So, you know, to, to wrap it up, yeah. you know, where, where can our listeners get more information about the 3M product and, and lead in general? Yeah, it's a, very easy, actually. Uh, we have a, a dedicated landing page to the lead reduction program. It's 3m.com forward slash lead reduction. Um, on that page, you'll see um, the data is available for download. The specification sheets on the product is available for download. Um, it gives some brief history. So it's, uh, it's a fantastic um, place to start. Uh, we also are in the process right now of getting final legal approval on a... Um, graphic uh, flyer, if you will. It's a one-page document that is specifically out there uh, for lead reduction in schools that I could provide to Partstown as well uh, in a PDF format that gives a lot of data, uh, specifically to things that we talked about here today. Um, so it's just a, it's a very nice uh, graphical way of representing what we're talking about. Again, focusing on the 3MFF100 as our choice, our solution, for uh, the being the best for lead reduction. We do have other products that do uh, lead reduction as well, but this one seems to fit that perfect niche for the school district. So uh, 3m.com forward slash lead reduction should get you exactly where you want to go. Awesome. Mark, this was a really interesting conversation. And, you know, the more we know was the, the, that old, that yeah. old phrase for, for those of us of a certain age might know a cartoon. The, the more we know, we really are able to make the right decisions as it concerns 
filtration and removing lead from, from our water. So again, Mark, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me and uh, good selling, good, good lead reduction out there. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you.